That's really good, everybody. This is Nathan Albach, and welcome to the podcast where we get into people's stories and go down a bunch of rabbit holes about what's really good in the world. We're going to do something a little different for this episode, or I should say I'm going to do something a little different. Uh, If you're a listener to the show, you know that virtually every episode we've done have been essentially these conversational interviews that start with me asking, you know, questions to various types of people, and then they kind of just evolve into natural conversations, because that's just how I am as a person. I like to ramble, and I like to ask questions, but also not, like, in the strict format of just, like, oh, I'm sitting down, like, I have to get all the exact questions. Like, I'm not a journalist, I guess I should say, which is great for journalism, but not for podcasts, in my opinion, at least. At least the kind that I like to listen to. No offense, if that's what you're into. Anyway, off to a great start here. So I've been doing these interviews for a little over a year now. And I did, um, if you've been listening for a while, you know, I think it was episode 20 of the podcast. I did an episode where I essentially, I forget, it might have been like an hour long where I just kind of went through a little bit about myself and my life, just kind of give listeners some perspective on like where I'm coming from as a person. And I just figure it's weird because if you know me from online, whether it's through Twitter or Reddit or Instagram, wherever you may have found me, you kind of get these little snippets of who I am. Like you get little, maybe whether it's interviews that I've done or you get tweets that I'm putting out or little funny videos that I do, whatever it might be. And that's cool. I mean, like everybody has an online persona, I guess. And like even people like me in this sense that do podcasts or YouTube shows or Twitch streams, wherever it might be. I mean, this is all, these are all digital personas to some degree, right? Like there's a level of performance where if I was just not being recorded right now, talking alone in a room, I don't think I would be necessarily like enunciating my voice in the ways that I'm doing right now. Like I'm kind of speaking in a way where it's like I'm pretending there's someone in front of me, right? And that being the audience or sometimes even that being the person in the room with me, depending on like the type of person, the type of conversation it is. Like you kind of elevate your personhood depending on who you're in the room with. Like if I'm home with my wife one night, we're just like chilling watching TV the level of of my voice is going to be a lot lower, a lot more chill versus me at work where I'm like engaged with my peers, you know, trying to come up with ideas and all that. And it's a lot more uh, charismatic, I guess you'd say. So, and and then that's even different than me. Like when I've done songwriting in the past where like I'm on a stage and I'm performing essentially. So I'm trying to be funny and make people laugh and, and stuff like that. So needless to say, I mean, all this is kind of persona generated, right? In some way. So I think it's important to at least try to let people know who you are, even though inevitably, like, I'm going to be picky and choosy about what I want people to know. But I've always, you know, if you're a listener to this show, like, I hope you take this from the show. I mean, obviously, I can't really control how people perceive me at the end of the day. But I mean, I hope I give off the vibe that, like, I try to be a transparent person. You know, I'm not really, I'm not really someone who likes to push things down. Um, I did that for a long time growing up just under various circumstances where I felt like I just couldn't really be myself. And now as an adult, I think it's really important just to keep, I I refer to it as keeping the windows in your house open. I kind of stole that from, I think it was Pete Holmes who coined that. It was was somebody in that kind of like loose comedy vein. And I really love the saying because it's true. I mean, I feel like 
you know, our, our personhood ultimately, like we, we put on different faces for different types of people. And I really do try to be as open as I can with who I am. So with that episode number 20, I think, as I said, I think it was for this show, I went through just like how my beliefs have changed over the years, you know, a little bit about my upbringing religiously and politically, just to kind of give people an honest read on like where I'm coming from, because if you're listening to the show or you're, you're following the episodes, I mean, you're seeing certain trends and topics and guests that I'm having on. So obviously, you know, I'm coming from a specific set of biases, a specific background, you know, whether that's socioeconomically or religiously or politically, whatever it might be, you know, you're, you're kind of picking up on these cues that I'm putting down uh, as far as, you know, what I believe and where I'm coming from. So I just, you know, like I've been saying, I think it's important to just to let you all know as the audience, as the people who make this show what it is. I mean, I obviously wouldn't be doing a podcast if there was just nobody listening. You know, ultimately, it's great to do it for myself. I have really a ton of fun talking to people and all that. But if no one cared, I don't know if I would even be doing it. So I I just want to respect the people who follow me on any social media platforms and listen to my my content, hashtag content, because, yeah, you all mean a lot to me in this kind of weird, abstract Internet way. And I, I just want to put myself out there for you. So anyway, if you want to know a little bit more about me, I guess you can go back and listen to episode 20. Um, I'm planning to do more deep dives into that type of kind of vulnerable openness, whatever you want to call it. Just that me being open about where I'm coming from, my beliefs. I'm trying to do more of that when I get my Twitch channel up and running. Uh, this is I'm actually recording this on the night where I was supposed to launch my Twitch channel. And everything just fell apart. Like I had been planning this forever. And the weekend before this, this time I was kind of troubleshooting some stuff and really just thought I had it figured out. I was like, okay, like there's just this little things I got to tweak. And the day came around today and all these things started falling apart. And I essentially just realized that my computer can't handle streaming. So that was cool. Um, <laughs> I, I ha- and I have the right computer for it. I have a good PC but uh, that stays at our apartment, and my wife uses that for her gaming stuff, so I can't really lug it to our office basement, which is where I'm in, like, a dungeon small room right now. It's just, like, all, like, brick and stone, which is where I do podcast stuff. So I was planning to do the Twitch streams here because it's private and I have a good internet connection, so, and I don't have to worry about privacy issues in my little one-bedroom apartment with my wife, but it's looking like that's not possible, so this is probably going to get held off until either we get a new house or something. I, I don't know. We'll have to figure it out. But until then, I figured, hey, I'm, I'm here. I've already wasted hours trying to figure this stream out. Let's just uh, jump into this AMA that uh, a lot of you who have followed me on social media have seen me posting about it. I only put it out, I think, two times, maybe three times. I just put like little feelers and tweets out there just for like the, the intimate listeners of the show to be like, hey, like here's a chance. Like if there's anything you want to know about me, I am more than willing to jump in to any questions that you might have. And this, some of these are great. So I haven't uh, like done any kind of whatever you want to call it, like premeditated 
work on these questions. Uh, just gonna kind of, I've, I've obviously read through them. I, I just went through them when I uh, put them in a little notepad on my laptop before I started recording, but I have done no work as far as thinking them through. So you're going to get a lot of genuine off the cuff responses to this and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, and I'm planning to do more stuff like this, like I said, in the future with Twitch and I'm going to keep this podcast going, but it's going to, I think, fizzle down to maybe one or two episodes a month. And even that's probably not going to be consistent. And if you're, if this is like the first time you're listening to this show, or if you're kind of like returning guests and you maybe don't listen to all the intros I do, the, the reasoning has been, and I've been laying this out the past couple months, is just that podcasting, at least the way I do it, takes a lot of post-production. And the meta reasoning behind that, I guess you could say, is that I don't have the ideal studio setup to do podcasting. Typically, if you like look at some of like the really high-end podcasts that are out there, and if, if they do video especially, you can see it. They have these really great studio spaces where the sound is disrupted off all the walls and the, and the ceiling and the floor. Just all the surfaces are kind of they're, – they're built and engineered in a way where sound is like perfectly maintained within each microphone. And this little room that I record in is not even close to that. And I've tried my best. I, we, we invested a lot of money, actually, to try to, like, soundproof it. And it's a thousand times better than it used to be. But sound bounces off every single corner of this little, like, square room. So if I have a guest on any time, like, if it's an in-person guest, my voice, because I am so loud and obnoxious, just naturally, my, my voice just carries... Uh, it bounces off the walls and into the guest mic. And I've almost never had this problem with a guest. Like, I think there's been maybe two or three guests I've had on of, like, the 55 or whatever it's been who had a similar problem to me. Like, virtually everybody has a normal voice, and they can actually make it work on their end, but my voice always bounces into the opposing microphone, and it creates this, like, reverb effect, essentially. And so when I go into post to edit... I, the one microphone, like the guest microphone, often sounds phenomenal and their audio is clean, whereas my audio kind of feels a little spacey. And you've, if you've listened to the show a lot, you've maybe never even noticed it. It's kind of – it's subtle, I guess, but like to me, I'm, I'm so – because I do all the editing for this. Like I'm so in it that it just annoys the hell out of me, and I, no, I notice every little thing. So I've been going through every episode that I've done in person and having to like – chop out all the dead space in between these uh these takes between me and the guest and some of these episodes are like two three four hours long so it takes literally sometimes like five seven hours of post-production editing and with the other ones like the ones i do remotely which is i think over half it's probably like 60 or 70 percent of the interviews i've done remotely uh, i use a program that essentially mixes both our audio files into one file which is the worst um it's it's kind of the best in some ways i guess because it makes uh like lining up lag a lot easier because it's all one file so i can drag things really quick but as far as uh, getting the best quality it's really bad just because anytime you talk over each other there's a disruption in the audio and it's really tough just to like make everything clean because there's always that slight delay so if i ask a question or something or, or i'm maybe trying to to jump into what someone's saying to to ask a new question there's always that point where like they haven't gotten it yet you know, and then there's like that little awkward space. So lots and lots of editing that goes into this, which probably wouldn't occur if I had a great 
just ideal studio, which I do not have. So um, all that to say, that was way too long. All that to say, that is the reasoning behind me not doing as many podcasts as I used to. It just takes so much time. Like if it was literally just the episodes, if I had like a hired producer, if I could afford that, then I would do these literally like every other day. It's so fun. I love talking to people and I've had like... I want to say there's at least 100, maybe 200 people that have been on my list that I've talked to that I really want to do podcasts with. And it's it's sincere. Like, I've wanted to have these conversations, but it's so hard not just finding the time, but finding the energy. Because when I go to schedule them, I know that I'm committing that block of my life where it's not just the few hours I'll be talking to them, but it's all the hours throughout the next week or two that I have to like fit in those moments of editing where it's me sitting on my couch in my apartment with headphones in, unable to do anything else, having to solely focus on this editing. And it's just not something I enjoy doing at all. So that's my biggest reason for uh, jumping to something like Twitch, which is live streaming. I can get a semi-quality product out there. I'm going to do a lot of the same stuff as I've been doing on this show where it's like I'll invite uh, returning guests like that I've done interviews with to just jump on the streams. We'll do interviews. We'll do conversations. Like I'm going to be doing a lot more solo stuff like this episode just to talk about me, I guess. And uh, I guess people care about that. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'll find out no one cares about that. But uh, it's it's good for me. Like, I, I love these conversations and I've been absent. I, I haven't recorded a new episode in almost two months of the show at this point. And it sucks because it's just so time consuming. And a lot of you know who follow me on social media, like I've been taking on much more uh, freelance work recently. Like it's actually, it's added about 10 to 12 total hours of my week as far as my my work week, I'm sorry, which is uh, really time consuming and not just that, but energy consuming as far as like having the creative, you know, juices to, to do this kind of thing. So work has been crazy. I've been trying to get a house, which is also insane in this market right now. It's just, it's a seller's market. So virtually everything is out of my wife and I's reach. And uh, yeah, so life's just been kind of crazy. And I feel bad because I know like there's a lot of people that have been coming back to this show weekly. And I've been just like so all over the place the past few months. And that is why. So now you all know if, if you hadn't heard me ramble about this in my podcast intros before, um, and I'll just be keeping everybody posted with a Twitch thing. Like it's just going to be time will tell when I figure this out, but it's not going anywhere. I promise. I, I plan to continue doing all this. It's something I enjoy more than many things I've done in the past. I mean, I've, I've wanted to podcast for literally almost probably like seven years. I've been saying I want to do this and finally got to do it and I love it. And I, I have a great group of people who listen and support me and it just, it means a ton. I, I can't say it enough. And I, and I always feel like I have to insert some kind of like, um, like self, like demoralizing thing about like every other dude who does a podcast. Cause it's just like, like, I love that one tweet that says, um, it's something like podcasts are 2019's tramp stamp or something like that. <laughs> it's like, everybody's just like making this huge mistake by doing podcasts. And it's hilarious. Cause like everyone is doing them and there is a lot to make fun of there but way more to celebrate. And I know it sounds kind of corny, but it's true. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I love how like the barrier to entry to doing this type of thing is just virtually gone, especially with apps like Anchor that they have now for your smartphone. 
It's amazing. Like, you can just produce these full episodes of something where you could interview people. You could just, like, upload it to all these different uh, outlets like Spotify, iTunes, whatever. And millions of people could be potentially listening. I mean, it's just such a unique time for just content creators in general, which and most content creators, at least in the sense that I use the word, are artists. So I think it's really great that we can all do this, um, myself included. And I feel incredibly, incredibly privileged that I have the platform that I have and that I have the resources that I have to to do this. Because I'm fully aware that most people, even if they might have a smartphone and all that, like they don't have the the layers of resources maybe that are necessary to, to produce something like this, whether that's just like socioeconomic status or just like social skills or uh, cultural stuff that might be going on that's just like preventing that from happening or maybe it could, it could be anything, you know? And like, I've just, I feel very lucky that circumstances have led me to, to be able to do this. So uh, this is the soup, the longest intro ever. I'm really sorry. Um, I, I'm going to wonder if I'll have to put something in the intro to be like, skip ahead to this point if you just want to like completely miss my <laughs> like pre-ramble before I do this AMA. But uh, it's good. I, I just I, it's, it's great to be able to uh, to communicate this stuff. And I, I wish I did it more, honestly. So we can jump into this thing. I just wrote all the questions down. I feel bad. I didn't write all the users who uh, shared them. I'll try to get to as many as I can. There were there weren't like tons i'm not gonna like like overbloat it or something like that like there was maybe like 15 or so but knowing how i've rambled like for the past 15 minutes of this intro like i can obviously just riff for a long time on these so so we'll uh we'll see how it goes all right so first question we got here says why a podcast versus other forms of media distribution i guess that's that's uh, perfect. Granted, I was just talking about Twitch and all that. Uh, the truth is, I mean, I've been listening to podcasts since 2011. Uh, oddly enough, it was uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. That was the first one I ever listened to. My uh, dad, actually, he was like a, a high school wrestler growing up, and he's always been just in- incredibly competitive, just like probably the most competitive person that I know. And he got into jujitsu and mixed martial arts. i probably in like 2007 or 2008, I want to say. And at that time, you know, I was, I was in like my scene days, you know, I got like the emo hair. I was going to like concerts and all that. And I just didn't really care for it. Uh, I think I got into it in 2008, like right when I was kind of like coming out of the scene phase. It was like 2007, 2008. And he got like a, a fight on pay-per-view or something like that and showed it to me. And it was, uh, I, th- I forget which fight it was, but it was amazing. And I uh, ended up just like falling in love with the sport right away. And I started training with him a bit. And then that's how I kind of got into just that culture of um, where, where Joe Rogan is like the commentator of the UFC. And it just crossed over because I, I started hanging out with this guy I know who's still one of my best friends this day, Leo, who we, we started hanging out, I want to say in 2010. And he was really into that podcast for other reasons. Like he wasn't even really into MMA at that time. So we got ended up, we ended up talking about, it, and he's like, Oh, there's this podcast. And I didn't even really know what a podcast was. He showed it to me and it was just great. Like going through all these like episodes of comedians and MMA fighters and all these like random interviews. So like at the time I, I was probably, I guess I was 18 or so. I mean, it just felt like a whole new world of information flooding in. And I had like, 
it's always weird putting this into perspective. I mean, years prior to that, I had gotten into various ideological phases. So I had like looked up content on YouTube and like the new atheist scene and kind of gone down a bunch of these. Like I'd, I'd bought like some Noam Chomsky books and like I kind of like done a couple pseudo intellectual pseudo philosopher like, I don't know, adventures in my young adulthood where I just kind of jumped into different thought trains and kind of attached myself to those ideas or those people and let it ride out. But I didn't really know anything. I didn't really know what I was reading or what I was talking about. But uh, MMA was like one of the first things, honestly, like outside of music for me that like I really got attached to. And like it was cause my, it was so like intimate for my dad. And then I got really into it. And I was um, I think I got into this in the Sorry, this is such a ramble already. Oh, my God, I'm so annoying. <laughs> but it all tied together, I promise. But uh, I had gotten into it initially, I guess, not entirely, but for the most, the biggest reason was because I got bullied really bad uh, from eighth grade through, I guess, 10th, like through the end of 10th grade, essentially, over the course of two different school districts. So the uh, the first school district was my public school in Souderton, so I went to high school. Um, that was in, This is in eighth grade, and I was one of the first kids in that grade to wear like tight pants and stuff there was like a goth kid who wore like the big uh like insane clown posse type pants then there was a skater kid who wore like skater pack sun type pants and there was me and i would wear these like super tight girly looking pants with like band t-shirts and it just got me bullied so bad like there was a lot of the uh the f slang word being thrown around at me and i just I've always been just kind of like a sensitive kid. So like I just didn't really know how to handle it. And I didn't get like beat up. I just got pushed around a lot. I mean, I guess you could say I got beat up, but I didn't get like, there was never some like giant dude on top of me just like pummeling my face into the dirt. I just got literally shoved around and threatened a lot at school. And uh, it sucked. So when my dad got into the sport, it just felt like a natural thing. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to like learn how to defend myself or whatever. So I had this like super intimate connection with MMA, which then kind of like translated into Joe Rogan's podcast. So my buddy got me into that in 2011. And uh, that's like, I just fell in love with it. And then from there, I just found a bunch of different podcasts over time. Um, I, I don't really listen to Rogan that much anymore unless it's like a really specific guest that I'm interested in. Like, yeah, tons of, he has tons of cool people on, but like, I'm just not like a regular listener anymore. But uh, ever since that point, like I always thought like, man, this is something I would love to do. Like, it's just so cool that these people just get to, and of course, like in my like childlike mind, I'm like, what are they, how do they reach this point? Like, they're like super successful comedians and, and public figures. But I just thought it was so cool. These guys could just like sit around and have conversations. And I've always enjoyed that. And I've always enjoyed to be hanging out with friends and just like having like talks about like the what ifs of the world and all that and just trying to pontificate and be an armchair psychologist and it's always been appealing to me so that is essentially why I wanted to do a podcast and also like pragmatically I guess at this point because I started it in 2018 last year and uh the other big thing, too, is just the fact that, like, it's less production time than something like being a YouTuber, which was the other thing I was thinking about. Like, I just don't have the chops to do video editing at this point. Like, I really do respect all the time it takes for that those people put into videos, like, all the great editing that goes into creating something like that, the scripting. It's not that I couldn't do it. I just know how much time it takes of, like, the learning curve and all that. So that is a, a whole other beast. And this is honestly, for me, I mean, besides writing, it's 
just I love to ramble, as you can tell by the fact that it's 23 minutes into this thing or however many. Maybe I'll put an intro. Maybe it'll be more than that. But it's this long in, and I've got to one question. So that's essentially why. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see as far as the future. Next question. Let's see. Which industry do you think is most notorious for the worst or most boring social media? Oh, this is a, a classic type of brand question. <laughs> oh, man, there's so many. I mean, I don't know. It's probably like the more uh, prestigious institutions, right? Like uh, universities and, and think tanks and um, like government institutions and the things that are kind of like supposed to like really be holding the fabric of society together, I guess, like just like the education system and like our political systems, basically. Uh, And that's not to say, I mean, there's a ton of like really funny, entertaining institutions out there. Like there's some funny library ones. There's some funny uh, political ones. I remember like the first CIA tweet in like 2013 or 14. I forget what it was. It was something like we're we're watching you or something like that. It was just something funny. Like they just jumped into it like that. So there's definitely... There's definitely personality behind even, like, the most boring industries, but I think those are the industries as a whole that are seen as, like, the most cut and dry, like, this is just what we are. We're not here to entertain you. We're here to give you information. We're here to be professional and all that. So that's what it is. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's there, there could be boring social media accounts in any industry. I think it's just... If you look at it in terms of advertising, consumerism, et cetera, like, I think that the most uh, impulse by low-hanging fruit, mass corporate type of companies, brands, whatever you want to call them, they're the ones that have t- that tend to have the most quote-unquote fun or entertaining or relatable pages just because they're the most highly driven by consumerism and just capitalism in general. So you look at like the food and beverage industries. I mean, these are just like they're impulse buys that you do. And they're also just, in most cases, at least massive companies that have been around for a long time. Everybody needs to eat. Everybody needs to drink. So it becomes this thing where like they have to be in people's faces all the time. And so you find industries like that that tend to have more fun content, I guess, just because they're they're a little crazier in what they have to do as far as sales. But very cool question. All right. Why do you hate books so much? <laughs> I know Travis sent me this question. Uh, Travis, this one's for you. Um, I know this is a joke. This is a, this is a joke about the, the infamous now library Twitter versus brand Twitter wars that just happened a little bit ago where there was that whole thing where brands were doing the bookmark meme where uh, like you'd put like a brand would put their food inside of a book and in some cases the food would ruin the book and it just like sparked so much hate and outrage within library twitter and for those listening who don't know these terms i mean brand twitter is is one that i use just to to kind of encapsulate all the different funny entertaining relatable brands on twitter specifically in this context and uh, library twitter is a other massive sort of subculture of people who are really just into books or librarians or people that work at libraries or whatever or i guess those are librarians oh my god i'm such an idiot uh you know what i mean whatever just people that are in that community all kind of come together and there's like online there's like twitter book clubs and there's people sharing it with like their favorite authors and all that type of thing and um i listen <laughs> I have been tweeting with Stakem for over two years now. I have never seen the rage 
as uh, I've never seen a rage as palpable as from library Twitter when these couple brands uh, ruined some books uh, for, for these for these memes and it just it struck a nerve with me and this is why I like the question like why do you hate books so much because I was kind of railing on this on Twitter like it's so dumb that these people are so mad listen to, I'm gonna put a caveat in right here because I don't want people listening that do love books to be like he's a jerk and then being not thoughtful or whatever it might be I get it I get that there's like a sort of reverent understanding of books and what they mean to societies and and what they mean to just like people in general like on a personal level i mean i love books i've got a, a great book collection that i really I've, I've been adding to it for 12 years now of just like my own stuff and and it is important like i think obviously on a cultural level like not every culture has access to books not every group of people has access to books and there is there's like an emphasis on higher learning and just like the, you know the the sort of like um, ability to have like like not just free speech and free expression, but just like the ability to absorb information without it being censored by outside parties that are that would try to like suppress information in any way. I totally get it. This is why like the, there is sort of this like reverence around books in some way. But come on, okay. I'm just gonna like I'm throwing my butt in right here, my Seinfeld joke or whatever whatever it is, where everything after a butt doesn't matter. Listen. Work with me here, okay? <laughs> I'm just, I'm the type of person who, it doesn't matter what it is, I just hate worship of things, of objects, you know? And I have, like, a materialist understanding of the world as far as, like, I know that material needs have great importance for people, you know, especially ac across all spectrums, I should say. I mean, like, there's really not a context where materialism doesn't matter. You know, like, it's, it's that's what's been so funny about this whole, like, minimalist movement that's emerged over the years where it's like, oh, it's, like, all about being minimalist now. And it's, like, always these, like, super upper middle class or upper class rich white people that are just, like, throwing away all of their crap from over the years so that they can feel better about themselves because they're financially uh, independent and, like, wealthy enough to not have to worry about their material needs. Like, if they really needed to, they could just buy whatever it is that they actually need. So it just, like, feels good for them to, like, purge all these things versus, like, a more socioeconomically poor person who all of their material possessions have, like, a much more intimate uh, meaning to them, right? I mean, like, if you're poor, you don't know, like, if you're going to be able to, like, make rent this month or you don't know, like, what's going to happen. Like, maybe your car is going to break down. Maybe you'll have to sell some things soon. Like, you have to hold on. And that's why when you watch those shows like Hoarders, I mean, like, almost all the time, it's always poor people, mentally ill people. It's just, like, you get in these situations where it's, like, you have to accumulate things because you're so afraid of your future, right? Like you're afraid that you're going to need this object at some point, whether it's to sell it or to use it. Like, what if I can't get that again? You know, and these are things that you just don't really think about if you're like born into a middle class or upper middle class family, unless you are just like, I don't know like what the genetic stuff could be involved there. Maybe there is something genetic in terms of like, your propensity to feel like you need just to cling to things in general. Cause I definitely feel that in myself growing up. Like I was always someone who just kind of clung to things. And as time has gone on, I've been like really making it a point to try to let more of those things go. Cause it's just like, I hold on to some things that have value to me, whether it's sentimental, whether it's like an heirloom, whatever that might be. But I try to, if it doesn't, if it doesn't spark joy, I get rid of it. So like I, I get, anyway, point being, I see it both ways, right? Like I, I get why people have a value placed on things like books and I get why 
you know, people uh, do like destroying them could be seen as disrespectful or whatever. Okay. All that granted, I just think it's ridiculous anytime people put such an importance on physical objects that it completely undermines their humanity. <laughs> like, if you're getting this mad, like, I literally don't think there's a thing, like an object that you could, like, like I don't know, like, desecrate or whatever that I would get so viscerally upset about. Like, I, there's just nothing. It would have to be a living thing, right? It has to be a person or an animal or something like that. Like, it couldn't be just an object. Like, it, it wouldn't matter if it was a laptop or a phone or a, uh, like, I don't know, like a, like a beautiful piece of furniture or whatever. Like, I just don't, I don't know. I, I just, I just, I get it. Like I said, after everything I just laid out, understand why some people would be very upset about it. But in terms of just like my understanding of how I see the world, I just don't see that as a productive way of being. I think it trying to, it creates chaos. And I think this, this whole fiasco is the perfect example of why it creates chaos. Like there just shouldn't be this level of inerrancy and, and, and perfection to any object. I mean, nothing is beyond not only criticism, but just like messing around, right? Like the, the entire premise of a show like Viva La Bam or whatever, Jackass or whatever, right? Where like they're just destroying things and it's funny, right? Like you're getting entertainment value out of them just wrecking things and hurting each other because that's like the point of their comedy. And obviously not everything should be like that, but there's also a place to do that type of thing in any area of materialism is what I'm saying. Like I think if you look at any uh, like food challenge from over the years or whatever, it's like there's always these things that like you waste food, you waste water, you waste energy. You're wasting something to get something in return, whether that's entertainment or whatever it might be. And I think if we waste time like critiquing every moment of joy that people try to bring for doing that trade off, it's just a losing battle because we all do it. Like literally everybody does it. Like we, we can't, we don't live in these perfect isolated bubbles where things don't go wrong and there is no trade-off, right? Like we're all on smartphones. We're all driving cars. We're all flying in planes. We're all like, we're all doing, we're all buying clothes. And these, all these things are attached to this like child slavery, sweatshops, just like the most horrible things imaginable, right? Like everything is kind of a trade-off in some way. And obviously there's nothing wrong with criticizing these things. I love um, people's ability to to put their critiques out there in a public way, public way, which is something that I've done plenty of times. I'm doing it right now, essentially, through this podcast. I mean, I think it's important that people can air their grievances, but at the same time, when you get like this massive groupthink, you just see the worst of people. Like, oh my god! I, I wish I really sh I don't know why I didn't. Like, I should just start screenshotting some of the tweets that were sent to uh, Stakem, particularly in that in the aftermath of all that. I mean, there were people literally comparing what brands were doing to Hitler and Nazis and saying this is just like the worst thing ever and they were like telling me and other social media managers like I hope you get hurt like I hope you have like the worst weekend ever like just shame on you like what's it like being a terrible person just all this stuff and so much of it like uh, granted some of it might be genuine rage and I can again fine I understand that most of it is just this like group think outrage where people are just mindlessly jumping in to like this pot 
of it's it's literally like a stew of everybody tweeting angry things and you find an easy target and in this case the easy target is brands and honestly they always should be the easy target i'm down with that but i'm just saying it's the fact that it's an easy target that everyone feels comfortable just like completely losing that part of their humanity you know what i mean like they're not they're not critiquing it in a way where it's productive anymore. It's just like freaking out, you know, and that oftentimes is not great. So that's where that, that is why Travis, that's why I hate books so much. Uh, stupid, long winded answer. But I have been thinking about this and tweeting about it for the past couple of weeks. And it's so difficult to talk about because like you, you lose so much context in tweets. And I wish I could like ramble all of that into that for text format but i think inevitably it would offend a lot of people and maybe this me, me talking about in person or, or vocally I, I mean offends people too but at least i think there's a little bit more context to why i think the way i think in this way versus if i was putting tweets out like it's just gonna piss everybody off you know <laughs> oh man all right what do we got how has running a successful brand account changed if at all, your perception of general human nature. Oh, man. Um, let's see. It hasn't really changed anything that I had already thought about human nature, but it definitely magnified parts of it, like parts of it that I don't think I would have been able to observe under any other context like it really is having having an account like stakeum or managing an account like stakeum it's not mine but managing it uh really does give me like a unique window into just thousands and thousands of people's perceptions in these these really specific um contexts right so I've seen a lot of patterns, I guess. Like, I, I almost wish I had, like, a, a shadow person that was, like, with me writing down notes about, like, all the different interactions I've had so we can kind of, like, use it for some kind of bigger study or whatever. But I, I don't know. Like, I think it's definitely reinforced the, the ideas that I already had about people being tribal. Like I just said with the whole book thing. I mean, there's just so many, like tw Twitter, I think above any other platform, even like Reddit, honestly, like it, it, I think it's worse than Reddit in a lot of ways, as far as the group think, like you just get in these, these, uh, like really highly refined algorithms where you start to follow people that you like, and then Twitter feeds you more people like that, and you continue to retweet and like certain content, and you eventually get to the point where you're a person, you have like a perfectly formulated newsfeed, right? It's exactly what you want to hear, and when anytime you get that, I mean, unless it's for something like super innocuous, like cute animal pics or something, <laughs> like if, if you involve any type of real uh, deep thought about the world, whether that's philosophical or political or social, whatever it might be, you're going to get um, really terrible polarization. And I don't just mean in like the sort of surface level fake way that people talk about polarization today where it's like, oh, like polarization is the worst it's ever been right now. It's so bad. Like everybody's so bad. Like everybody's just as bad as each other. That's not what I mean. I just mean like in these contexts because everybody is such an open platform on Twitter, right? Like everybody can see everybody else. When you tweet something, it has the potential to reach millions of people versus if I like post something on Facebook, like it's probably just going to stay within my friends and family. It just creates this environment that you just get to observe um, all these phenomena under a microscope and you see the best of people, you see the worst of people and it's, it's good and bad. I don't know. Like it's really not any different than what I, what I thought before. It's just that you get the, like the really specific micro examples and it's been really cool. Cause like I see a lot of great stuff. Like I've seen 
we did that we did that whole um uh, adopt Stakeum campaign, which was just kind of again like everything else with that account, it's like an off the cuff moment where the the um <clears throat> excuse me the Maryland SPCA had that dog that needed to get adopted adopted. It was named Stakeum, and then literally I think that whole thing together had like it was at least five million. It was probably more than that. Impressions of people all coming together had just like tens of thousands of retweets and everybody jumping in to get this dog adopted. And it was like super cool. Cause when you see stuff like that, you you know, intrinsically that everybody who's jumping into that, that moment has opposing ideologies, right? Like they think differently and under different circumstances, they would probably hate each other and be enemies, but this brought them together. So it's the same mechanisms that bring people together that tear them apart. Right. And, uh, that's just, that's tribalism, baby. So it's, it's cool. It's really interesting. And I do get other specific windows into like young people, especially. I think that's been one of the most interesting parts of running the account. Cause like, I'd say the vast majority of followers are in high school or college level. So I see, sorry, I just put a cough drop in my mouth. If you just heard a weird noise, um, my throat hurts from <laughs> talking so much, but, um, and it hurts because I have acid reflux. It's just like I have a very weak throat, just so you know. I talk I talk a lot all the time. It always hurts. So, so uh, But, yeah, you just, like, you get, like, these, these interesting looks into, like, the minds of young people who are growing up on the Internet. And they're growing up interacting with brands and, and all these big influencers and these, these things that just weren't around when I was growing up, you know. So it hasn't necessarily changed my perception, but it's, it's definitely zeroed in on a lot of these things that I had assumed and it's brought them to life in ways that I didn't, I never, I never could have imagined. Honestly, it's really, it's, I feel, again, feel very privileged. I get to, to witness a lot of it. And then at the same time, I'm just like sitting there shaking my head half the day, most days, like, oh my God, like the humanity of, of this whole thing. So anyway, very cool. Um, da, da, da. What's the worst thing about running a brand account? Um, man, I don't know. I think... There's a lot. Oh, I don't know where to start here. The worst thing. There's like, oh man, I could ramble forever about this. Probably the worst thing for okay for me personally. I'll just say from this is addressed to me. So for me personally, the worst thing is the ethical tension that I have to deal with on a daily basis. And this, this is a weird thing to talk about. And I, I try to be as open as I can with people because it does get brought up a lot in interviews and whatnot. And I get. I get this question a lot. Like I, I spoke at a conference last month, and the, after I spoke, the, this one woman raised her hand and asked a question after, and she said, um, "She said you seem very like morally uh, like pulled back and forth, basically, with what you do." And I was just like, "Yes, I'm coming across right to people because that is how I feel all the time." Um, and I think a lot of this is actually it's been the gradually eye opening for me. And I'll just be honest about this right now. I think. When I started on this account in 2017, I didn't know what I was doing. I honestly, I didn't know virtually anything about brand Twitter. I didn't know the history. I didn't know the players. I didn't know that like Wendy's was the baddest brand on Twitter. I didn't know that Denny's kind of started that weird trend on Tumblr in 2013. I didn't know anything about just like the deeper subcultures involved, like I had followed accounts like, like say like Drill from Weird Twitter, right? Like I had followed Drill way before all this. Like I had, I had known of a lot of these popular users on Twitter. I had known like stuff like this was happening, but I didn't have an understanding of the culture 
at all. To me, it was just all this like abstract landscape where like I'd see some popular users think they were funny or entertaining or smart and I'd follow them. And that was it. And when I started on this account, you know, I started to like gradually understand these different cultures that like fit into Twitter. And one of the main cultures that uh, it was essentially not responsible, but like they played in to the beginning of Stakem's success early on was like this sect of weird Twitter called Twinja. And Twinja was kind of like adjacent to weird Twitter in a lot of ways. So there was a lot of crossover there. And in the beginning, because the account was like nobody, right? Like it had like a thousand followers. It was just like a gag. It was just fun for a lot of these people to jump in. And as it got more successful, a lot of them felt betrayed because they were like, oh, we, we were used for by like a marketing campaign or something like that, right? And that's never what it was. Like it's never, that was never the intention, at least for me personally. So this whole time, right, I'm working at an ad agency and we're putting together advertising and I know that I'm supposed to be tweeting for Stakem. Stakem is the client. The, the, the goal is to make Stakem more popular, right? Like I know all this subconsciously. This is all like the framework I'm working with them. But on a day-to-day basis, like that's not, how I was operating. Like I was always operating just as myself. And I think a lot of the people that I've become friends with from that time period to now can attest to that. I mean, like the ones that I was interacting with intimately, at least like with messages and having a lot of back and forth on a daily basis. And because of that, like I, I was, I'm, I'm just gonna be honest. Like I was really naive. Like I jumped into this in a way where it was just like, Oh, like I'm just this guy. I'm on this brand account, having fun. It's a win-win. Like the brand gets attention. Like I get to have fun with all these people. They get attention because like the brand is retweeting them and stuff. And I was just in my mind, I was like, this is all just very innocent, right? Until it got really successful. And a lot of the criticism started to come in specifically from weird Twitter, which kind of, for those of you who don't know, it intersects with left Twitter and, Shit, now that I'm like thinking about this, probably a lot of people listening that don't know what these things are. Um, basically, <clears throat> really quick primer, Weird Twitter is like this amorphous group of mostly anonymous users on Twitter that are responsible for a lot of the underbelly of cultural references as far as like meme formats, joke formats, kind of like intentionally incorrect grammatical uses of things and making it like really ironic and absurd. They emerged primarily from um, the old forum website called Something Awful, which is like a comedy site that a lot of them gathered on from back in the day. And that there was a lot of other forum sites that were similar to Something Awful where these types of people, they were like just highly engaged online users that like they found each other in these in these early internet forums and then when platforms like twitter became public and everybody joined them they became like the spot for them all to meet you know what i mean so like as twitter evolved like weird twitter evolved with it and they in a lot of ways helped create some of the culture them uh, along with black twitter and there's other there's other various subgroups that have come along the way but needless to say, they uh, they also largely intersect today with left Twitter, which is like leftists, essentially, meaning anarchists, communists, socialists, people who are broadly against uh, neoliberalism as a whole, which in their context would mean like free market capitalism, the way our two-party structure works, where there's Democrats and Republicans, but both fall under the umbrella of like old school liberalism, where there's like a process to all these things, and it kind of always ends up somewhere in the middle, right? Like that's generally what they're against, right? And, the, and it's a lot of that comes from those like early days of being on the internet, the cyberpunks and the people who were trying to undermine these traditional institutions of consumerism and whatnot. And uh, 
as these models have kind of evolved and brands on Twitter specifically is like one way that this, this whole model's evolved as far as like hijacking people's culture like weird Twitter, um, they become like more and more vocally criti- critical of it, right? And I knew that was a thing. I just didn't really understand the extent of it and I didn't really have a moral framework to work within it because I just didn't understand fully, I think, where they were coming from. And and it took a while for me to to go through my own sort of like ideological, not transformation, but like exploration, I'll say, to getting into a lot of like the why of where these people are coming from and like and, and what are their justifications and, and all that. And that really like as time went on, like I kind of evolved with the account as it kept growing and this criticism just kept rolling in from these accounts. I mean, like I was getting there's some accounts that just like continually harass me like week after week. And um and part of it, like I said, part of it as time went on, I realized it was justified, right? And then the other part of it was just kind of like this petty like they were just singling me out because it was an easy target, which we can get into another time. But I think a lot of it also, once I started doing all these interviews, like a lot of my personal life came out, which became entwined with with the brand persona. And I come from a place of extreme privilege in a lot of ways, and it's undeniable for me or anyone else. So I think like as my the details of my life came out, like people found out that hey, this is like some spoiled kid who is working at his family's advertising agency. He, you know, he didn't earn this spot. Like this whole thing's a joke. Like the whole thing, like meritocracy is broken. And, and it just became very personal, I think, for me, because I put personal details about my life into these interviews initially. So it's like a two edge, uh, two, two sides of a coin, right? I mean, one side, I'm getting more popular personally and the brand, right? Like people are knowing that it's me because my name's attached to it. On the other side, because I'm getting more popular, I'm more open to criticism. And over time, like in the beginning, it was tough to deal with that. And it still is tough, but it's really tough then. And uh, over time, I just like learned how I should be addressing it better and how I should like be looking inward and be honest about where I come from in a lot of these ways. And honestly, like <laughs> I can get into this uh, in a different episode or whatever, but I think so much of meritocracy is broken, right? And like, there is just so much to be said of like where that criticism is coming from. And I've, I've spoken, I do a lot of consulting now for other people and I've spoken about just how unfair the system it really is. Cause I mean, not just, and I can like my own specific context. I mean, I live just for people listening, like it's a small, really small suburban town outside of Philadelphia. And my dad started this agency about, 30 years ago and it was just him and he didn't come for like both his parents were teachers like he didn't come from anything he started this thing got it off the ground he, he didn't even finish school he did like a like a nine-month uh, expedited program at an art school jumped into it and um made it super successful i mean like it, it started getting successful as i got older so i think like literally around the time like in my late teens like the company really started getting successful and uh when i joined it in 2014, I joined as an unpaid intern because, again, if you want more on this, go back to episode 20 of the podcast. I get into it a little bit more. I had, like, a mental breakdown, and it was this whole thing. I developed, like, a panic disorder and a chronic acid reflux, which I still struggle with today, which is why I'm, like, clearing my throat constantly. I just, like, always have, like, my, my th- reflux coming up my throat. It's obnoxious. Like, it <laughs> doesn't matter what dietary stuff I do or whatever. Like, it's it's been, I guess, seven 
seven years, almost eight years now since then. So anyway, all that happened. My dad ended up, I ended up quitting my last job. My dad gave me a chance to do this internship in 2014. And if you're, if you have any knowledge of brand Twitter history and all that, and just social media in general, like, you know, that around that time was when it was getting really hot for brands to be on social media. So for a regional company, like my dad's company or my my parents' company, um, there were, uh, a lot of like smaller brands starting to get in on it, right? Because like the bigger brands have been on it for a while, but like we worked with smaller brands. So they had started getting in on it. And at the agency, it was like mostly like older people. So like I was the only young person there that understood social media, at least in the way that I understood it, right? Like I was on Reddit and like in these kind of like deep internet ways. And for years, I mean, it was just terrible. Like I just didn't really enjoy it. It was a lot of content calendars and all that. And uh, eventually I got the opportunity to stake them, which like completely changed my life. So without going further into that, needless to say, I mean, like I am fully aware of my like position of privilege and like how I came into this. And I'm constantly having to tell people who come to me for consulting or come to me for advice or whatever to be like, listen, like my circumstances are incredibly unique. Like I, it's, it's a combination of privilege, lucky timing, like being the right type of person, like all these things. And uh, I can also point to so many other people not just in this industry, but in tons of industries where it's super, super similar. I mean, like meritocracy really is broken in the sense where, you know, people more often than not, than not hire other people based on who they know, right? It's either family, friends, or like direct references from within those companies. That's like a lot. I don't know like what the stats are. I'm just going to be honest. So I'm not bullshitting you, but it's a lot. I mean, like anybody who's worked in any industry will tell you that that consists of a lot of hiring these days. So a lot of it's who you know, a lot of it's what your like socioeconomic background is, like a lot of it's your clout, like how much are you willing to offer? Like, do you have a successful YouTube channel? Do you have a successful Twitter account? Like, have you worked with successful brands? Like, what is the thing that you've done that you're going to offer this company? And it's not always based on who works the hardest and who's the best at what they do. And that's sad because like, honestly, like... I'm sure there's tons of people that could have done what I did with Stakem had they been like given the right opportunity, right? But like I got lucky with it. So needless to say, like I've gotten this criticism from like weird and left Twitter from over the years, and I get it. And it's still really hard to deal with because it's it's always hitting me in the face, you know. And it like fits into this like moral tension now that I have to deal with as someone who runs a brand account, not just on the like personal level. But on, like, the actual, like, ethical, class-oriented, um, just, like, larger socioeconomic level where I'm looking at – I shouldn't say socioeconomic. The larger, um, like, systemic level, right, of advertising as a whole. Like, the, the industry that I'm working with is, like, constantly driving people to buy things that they don't need with money that they don't have, right? It's, like, it's this whole model that is built on buy, 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 and in most cases you're buying crap. Like, it's stuff that you don't need. It's stuff that you really shouldn't be getting in general. And um, I'm right at the crux of that, right? Like, I'm, I'm pumping this stuff out, like, day in and day out. That's my job. And that is, unfortunately, where the most jobs are right now. Because, like, all these new models that we have of, like, YouTube, Google, Twitch, Amazon, like, everything is built on advertising. So, like, these industries are exploding. And there's just, like, so much new opportunity there for people to make money and it's never 
it's not something I ever wanted to do. Let's put it that way. I was a songwriter growing up. Like I said, I was like kind of like a, a rebel, an anarchist at some points growing up. And uh, I grew up in a very religious um, right wing community and family and never felt like I had friends that I could talk to up until I was like in my early to mid 20s. And even then, like even now, honestly, when I look at like my best friends, there are, <laughs> I can name like three people that I know that I can talk to about like my beliefs or politics or whatever. And almost everybody else is either going to get super offended or just uncomfortable or they're just disinterested because like they know that I'm kind of like, whatever you want to call it, like the contrarian or the, the black sheep. So anyway, that's all, all this is kind of sewn into my identity at this point. I know this is a very long-winded answer, again, like all these, but that's, I think, the most difficult part for me in all this is just the fact that, like, I'm at the crux of all this tension, and it's not just directly tied into my identity, but it's tied into my income, so... I don't know how to do with that, and I'm planning to talk a lot more about that with live streaming because I think more people who not just work in this industry but consume the brands that, that, that play in this industry need to be aware of the ethical implications of what they're doing and the social implications, and there's a lot there that should be explored, and it's not comfortable. It, make, it can make you depressed. It can make you nihilistic and cynical, but I think it's necessary to go through and hopefully come out the other side a better person with a better, fuller understanding of how these things operate in the world. Because without that, like, we're all just kind of, like, ignorantly running through life, like, consuming things and just ignoring all of, like, the repercussions and, like, the negative patterns that are behind what we're doing. And and that just, that sucks, right? I mean, like, we all know that most people in our lives do that. And you kind of have to at a certain point because you got to compartmentalize to be a human being. But it sucks, and I want to drive more awareness to that. So, great question. <laughs> That's like, I don't even know how long that answer was, but uh, those are some of my thoughts on it. Um, best insult from a troll. Oh, uh, that just, uh, this is an easy one. That just ties right back in to um, everything I literally just rambled about forever. So, the best insults are always when they're targeted at a just my background, right? Like you're just like a fail son who works for their dad's agency. <laughs> I mean, like, what can I say? It's true. And I, I it, it bothers me. Like they know how to get to me. I mean, it's obviously it, it hurts my ego. It, it always, like, I'm always like second guessing myself too, because like, like I've been kind of hinting at, like, I know, I know I'm good at what I do, obviously. Like I've been successful at what I do, but at the same time, I know that that's one <laughs> extremely like, it's not saying much. It's not like you're, it's saying like you're good at, I don't know, like crafting beautiful furniture or being like an amazing artist or something, right? Like I'm good at pretending to be like a personified brand online, right? <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Like, so like I know I'm decent at it, but I also know that why I'm decent at it is completely tied in to all of my social and, and just like all these different parts of my upbringing, right? Like I grew up in a household of advertising like it's been my whole life that I've seen this stuff not just that but like both my parents are super creative great people like I had great parents and great family and friends growing up even though we were like always at odds with each other like I had my needs met like I had I always felt like I was loved even though like there was that kind of like tension there where I was like maybe they don't love me for who I am but it was always like underneath everything you know what I mean and um I just 
having that, you know, having that support and that sort of like whatever, if it's genetic, if it's nature versus nurture, I don't know. But like having all that is definitely a major factor in why I'm good at what I do. And I can't deny that. So when people say like you're only successful or you're only good because of this now, I'm like, yeah, like that. I don't I don't have (laughs) I mean, like. I'm a compatibilist, so, like, I do believe in, I don't believe in free will, but I do believe that there is, like, patterns of, like, choice that kind of, like, work within the systems that we're given. So, like, I know that, like, I didn't choose what I have, and that's what gives me empathy, I think, for other people who don't have things that I have, right? So, yeah, that, like, that one gets to me, and it gets me for a good reason. But, like, even that, I mean, like, it depends on the intention, right? Like, if someone's just being a douche to be a douche, it's easy to brush it off. If they're being, like, thoughtfully critical to me, then I'm, like, forced to, like, <laughs> be super introspective about it and probably get, like, all existential. So, yeah, that's uh, that's one way to, to always get me. <laughs> all right, what we got here? How have you dealt with the bullying and responsibility that comes with handling a constantly trending brand account? Oh, boy. I mean, this literally just ties right back in to uh, what I was just saying. I mean, the bullying comes with the the success, right? And uh, I will... Okay, I'll say this right off the bat. I definitely don't know what I would be... Like, what position I'd be in right now if I hadn't gone to therapy. I mean, I had been in therapy before all this, but, man, like, it... It got bad. I mean, like, especially when things started getting way too successful way too fast. Like, it's just, like, really hard to handle that. And... It sounds dumb. It's like, oh, look, what are you handling? Like, you're just handling, like, people on a Twitter account? Like, dude, the amount of information just, like, smacking you in the face every moment of every day when it gets like that, especially if you're not used to it, right? Like, a lot of people who have gotten successful on Twitter, like, it's a gradual thing, right? Like, they've been maybe, like, a funny Twitter account for a couple years and gradually built a following, and then eventually maybe they make it or whatever, and they're, they're ready for that. I was not ready for this at all. Like, I... I've always been, like, a public spotlight in some way because I'm a very public person. Like, I've done songwriting, so I've been a performer. And I've always been, like, the sort of narcissist center of attention uh, type of person in my, in my group of people. But, like, man, this was, like, so much information, so many people, all of them strangers, all of them hitting me with their two cents constantly. And a lot of it was criticism. So, like, man... It was, a, it was a lot, and therapy really helped keep me on track when I needed it because I was, like, there was so many nights where, like, I would just be up shaking, like, literally, like, on my laptop shaking, trying to tweet, and, like, I had to shut the laptop, take some deep breaths, like, go on a walk, get in the shower, whatever I needed to do, and, yeah, like, you, you just do what you got to do. I mean, like, I tell people all the time, like, I think everybody should get therapy, and I had only bad experiences with therapists for years until so I found the right one and it just completely changed my life. Like I, we joke, uh, my wife and I joke that like our therapist saved our marriage cause he literally did. Like we, we got together with him about a year before our wedding when like things just got like really rough. Like they had been like snowballing for a while and just like fixed everything. Just being able to communicate and have like healthy dialogue between not just like ourselves, but like the space between us, you know? And yeah, you, you need to have some kind of support base, whether it's therapists, friends, family, but people who understand and can listen and can help you, not just listen, but like help you, guide you, whatever, whatever you need to kind of like get through that level of um, inundation, you know? So like that was a huge thing for me as far as uh, getting through it. And now, you know, now it's been so long. And like now when I get like a viral tweet or whatever it might be, 
it's a lot easier to manage. You know, I'm used to getting these interviews with people and I'm used to being on the phone or whatever it might be, like answering questions on the fly. And like, I don't feel as nervous. <clears throat> I don't feel as like um, constantly pressured, like something's going to go terribly wrong. You know, like I feel like enough has gone wrong and enough has happened throughout the time of this where I- I've experienced enough where it's like, okay, I- I've-, I've leveled myself again, you know? <laughs> What's your biggest accomplishment so far? Oh, I mean, this is broad, like in life or in uh, in brand Twitter or. <laughs> um, hmm. I just feel like accomplishments are measured in so many arbitrary ways. It's hard to to say necessarily. I mean, like I would definitely say, as far as <clears throat> virality is concerned, the uh, Stakem millennial rant, as it's been called, or woke rant, whatever people are calling it now, um, that's been the most popular thing I've ever done. I mean, that was aggregated just everywhere, and that, that was part of, like, a national conversation, and that ended up becoming, like, a, a point at the crux of this whole trend of brands, like, getting depressed or introspective, whatever you want to call it. So that was a big uh, cultural thing, I guess, that I, I was part of. Um what else? Like, I'm most proud, I think, of the album I put out a couple years ago called Waste. Uh, that was, it's my favorite album that I've ever put out. And it's it's definitely the best I've done. It's full band. Like, all my best friends played with me on it. I put a lot of money into it, a lot of time into those songs. And I uh, was really happy with uh, how it turned out. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's so... It's so arbitrary, right? Like, I, I feel like I view in a lot of ways my marriage as an accomplishment. And, like, I don't literally view it like it was a goal. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I got to get married or whatever. But we, my wife and I have been through a lot of hard times together. And it's been really great going through that with someone who you know loves you. And, you know, you love them and you want to make it work. And I don't know, just, like, the struggle within that. It's, like, a beautiful thing when you find someone who's, like, willing to put up with your shit forever and, like, loves you for you. So, like, that's been an amazing thing. Um, even like getting over like my panic disorder and all that, that I had for such a long time. I mean, that was massive and like affected every part of my life and it still does in a lot of ways. But like at the time I literally thought I was going to be shoved into a mental institution. Like I I didn't know what my future looked like. I felt hopeless and like I was never going to recover. I thought I was going to develop like schizophrenia or something like that. So to come out of that period being like a whole person was really amazing too but i don't know there's a lot of things like i don't, I don't really look at my life as like a list of accomplishments honestly like i, I look at I and mean, maybe this is just like me personally and how i look at things but like i'm always more interested in like failure in people and like what makes you human you know like accomplishments are cool obviously like they define our careers and stuff like that but yeah i don't know i'm always i'm always really interested in what people have gone through you know to make them like a whole person so there's a lot i i I can't i could never i could never like nail it down to one thing i think all right what do you got here um biggest almost fuck up that ended well that is easy i think that's probably going to be that stakem rant that i did the uh, viral woke rant thing because that was like I, it was all off the cuff. I didn't plan for it. It was, I, I took, I took the, the, the structure of those tweets from a notepad that I have of just like random thoughts that I get over time. And like a lot of those, I want to say like 90% of those thoughts never make it onto any kind of page, you know, like they just end up in the ether somewhere getting thrown out or never looked at again. So I, I found those thoughts on a notepad, started refining them and to make it make sense to me, I guess. And when that went off, and we literally, I've said this before in interviews, like our office, it was like the end of the day. 
and we got a call from Fortune magazine being like, were you hacked? Like, was this a hack in your account right now? And it scared the hell out of me because it was the end of the day. So it was like no contact with the client. Like I had to like do like emergency, like, hey, this thing has happened just so you know. And I didn't know which way it was going to go. If like the world was about to turn against me or the account or whatever, or if like everything was going to go great. And for a while, like, because I'd never seen a tweet blow up like that. Like it just blew up so fast. And like, it wasn't just like, oh, here's a viral tweet, bunch of retweets, right? Like, it was like people adding a lot of commentary and immediately like the news jumped them. So it was a uh, very stressful, like that whole night. I remember I was at, um, at my wife's ha- parents' house watching Survivor with them. <laughs> it was like their Survivor night. And, uh, I was like on my computer the whole time, just freaking out. And they're like, they're all like trying to enjoy their show. And I'm just like, Oh my God. But yeah. That, and I guess that ended up well in a way, even though it was also like, I feel partially responsible. Like I have like war crimes to answer for with all of the, um, like the the create the chaos that I, I've helped cause with that trend, but it's a uh, overall I think it's good that it's all out in the open. If it wasn't Stakem or and if it wasn't me, it'd be somebody else doing it, right? So it is what it is. Um, how do you think about the character that is Stakem? Is the voice of the brand your voice? Is it a character? If so, what tropes does it fall in? What's its story? Uh, that's a really complicated series of questions and. Ah, man. I mean, I've answered it in a few different ways over the years. I think, so in the beginning, the very beginning, I was just experimenting, right? Like I was just like being myself, messing around. It didn't really have any strict concept. Like I like to think about it. Okay. So I think about Stakem in a lot of ways, like a person, which is obvious, I guess. (laughs) But like, I mean, what I mean by that is in the sense where if I'm, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, if I'm going to be talking to my wife, I'm going to talk to her in a very specific way. If we're like alone in our apartment, right? That's going to be different than how I talk to a complete stranger that I just met for a podcast. Like my voice is going to be higher. I'm going to be a little more charismatic. That's going to be different than how I talk to my family. That's going to be different than how I talk at work. That's going to be different, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on, right? So, um, Stakem is more human in the sense where it never had like an established voice, if that makes sense. Like when I, kind of fell into different subcultures, I tried to speak their language and learn their language, you know, which could be seen as bad. I get that. Like some people I'm sure would be like, well, you're kind of just like jumping in and faking it, right? Like you're kind of like appropriating like these different subcultures. And I can definitely see the argument for that. Um, That's just not how I felt about it when I, when I've done it, Um, especially over time as I've kind of like actually gotten to know a lot of these subcultures. So I feel like much more comfortable in them, but like, For example, like the whole weird Twitter thing is one where it's like, okay, I'm learning to speak this language while I'm in the group, right? Like it's, it's all very new to me. Like I've known about this, but I've never been inside. So I'm like learning this voice, but then you, you fall into like sports Twitter and you get a bunch of sports references. So it's like, now I kind of got to speak sports and I fall into Stan Twitter, whether that's like, like Ariana Grande stands or Shane Dawson stands. For those of you who don't know, a stand is someone who like worships somebody or something, um, and these people have a very specific set of language. It's usually like high school girl speak. Like it's very like childish and fun and crazy. So like learn that um, and like learn a lot of different gaming languages. Like I remember getting involved in like the Game Grumps community online. Like they were involved in a lot of Stakem tweets for a while. There's a lot of like cross pollination with our audiences there. Um, 
so yeah, you kind of just like learn different languages, right? And like that, so in a way, like the language has always been evolved for Stakem, depending on the group, because I talk to people as I would talk to them if I just met them, right? It's like, here's this person, I'm going to be myself a little bit, they're going to be their self a little bit, but we're going to kind of like mix and match language as we get to know each other in a way, right? So there's that part of it. And then there's also just like all the baseline that kind of like set me up for that account, which is just like where I drew immediate inspiration from, where I was trying to like be some kind of weird crossover between like Joe Rogan type fans, like that type of language mixed with like the lighter hearted stuff like SpongeBob, just like a lot of like light meme, like more young, more fun. And then also like a little bit more nihilistic. Like I joked that like it's like Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty, just kind of like, you know, like that is how I think as a person. Like I'm a, I'm a very existential. I think about everything. I overthink about everything. So there's that element to it. Um, and then it, which also kind of dips into nihilism sometimes. So there's a lot of like baseline stuff there, but I think as it developed, like it really was just me, you know, just me, like depending on my mood, like one day I might be feeling a lot more, um, talkative and crazy. Some days I might be a little more docile and down. So that's how the voice developed. Eventually it was, it wasn't this like corporate thing that was like concocted in a boardroom, you know, it was just like me figuring out what worked for that brand. And I think that's what works best for most brands. You just kind of like let whoever's running that brand find themselves through tweeting over time, interacting with people over time, and you figure out what works, you know? So that was it. Da -da 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 -da. Oh my God. Okay. Wait, it's the last one. Last question. Okay. Wow. Hour and 12 minutes. I thought this would be longer. Honestly, maybe that, maybe I don't rant as bad as I thought I did. No, I, 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 I definitely rant way too bad. <laughs> this has only been like what? Like I've only done like 12, I think I, I picked out. So, all right, last one. Um, what advice do you have to people aiming to be influential and important, not just online, but also IRL and real life? Um, boom, man. I mean, this is such a loaded question, right? Because it's like everybody wants to be the center of attention in some way, like even like introverts, right? Like, I mean, like if you boil us down to like our meta reality, like each one of us is, is the hero of our own story. Like we're the head of our own narrative. Like we don't walk through life or walk past people down the street as if like we're them, right? Like we're us and they're around us. Like we are the, the sort of like leader in this, in this story that we built. So I think all of us want that. Like all of us want to be influential and important, but uh, very few people really can be. And man, there's two ways I can look at this, right? Like, this is like, this kind of falls into how I think about everything in the world. It's kind of like, a, it's almost like a left right paradigm as far as politically, because on one end, you have like the right side of things, which is more individualistic based. It's like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that whole kind of dumb trope which has like been satirized at this point but like the idea behind it is that like work hard right like be yourself don't let other people define you don't take handouts don't don't settle you know like work hard blah blah, blah. like that's the idea behind that like state of mind where it's like you have to rise above you have to conquer your circumstances and all that so there's like an element of that that i think needs to be balanced with like an understanding of broader social systems that are in place on the other side of it, which is the fact that there are, you know, billions of people on this planet and there's only so many leaders. There's only so many types of people who can be leaders. Um, I think that there's this whole like ideology out there where like anybody can unlock their potential. 
And I think oftentimes that gets sold as snake oil to people as if like you could be anything you want, right? Which is not true. I do. I am a firm believer that like everybody can unlock their potential and like everybody can like be the best version of themselves, which is often different, right? Like everybody has different skills and different backgrounds and they fit into society in different ways. And I think it's just a lie to say that like we can all be leaders, right? Because we can't be. So <coughs> I think... um. <coughs> You need a balance, right? You need a balance of like both of those understandings. Like you need to go through life understanding like, hey, depending on my circumstances, whether it's like the the area that I live in or grew up in, my own biology, like my personality, the way I look, the way I, I exist in society, these things, whether you want them to or not, have an impact on your social uh, existence, right? So like you mix that with that sort of like, right-leaning ideology of individualism and just, like, being yourself and, like, trying to conquer your circumstances. Like, you need a mix of those two things to be, I think, a whole person. So, like, as far as this question asking, like, how do you become influential and important, I don't think there's a formula for that because so, like, like I've been getting at throughout this thing, like, meritocracy as a system is broken. And when you look at the people who are important and influential, a lot of it's uh, people who have cheated and people who have fallen under lucky circumstances to get where they are. Uh, you look at, like, so many, just like with me, I mean, like, theoretically, right? Like, I work for my dad. I'm not making a ton of money, but I work for him. And, like, it's a super small agency. So, theoretically, like, I could eventually own this company, Right. And technically speaking, like, I don't have the most seniority in this agency, right? But, like, I would get that based on nepotism, which is, like, not me earning it necessarily. Like, a lot, I think, and I'm very close with the people I work with. Like, I'm sure, like, if that were to happen, there'd be conversations going on. It wouldn't be this, like, rise into, like, a dictatorship type of situation. But, like, a lot of situations are like that. A lot of situations literally are just, like, the boss's kid walks in takes over the place there's like that whole show about it. i've never watched it but that show succession on uh, hbo i think i've seen like a lot of ads for it where that's like essentially what it's about i'm pretty sure and like that's so many companies right it's like so many and not just companies but just like the way the world works it's the way politics work like think about how many politicians like their kids become famous politicians literally just based on the fact that their parents were politicians or like they just get like they, they become famous public figures maybe not politicians but like they have some kind of like public sway just based on their parents and like they've never done or said anything unique or special but like they're famous just because of that and that works all throughout life right i mean like if um i don't know if like uh bruce springsteen has a kid right bruce springsteen's kid is just automatically ushered into being like part of that rock and roll legacy and if they choose to be a musician an artist or whatever they get to carry that like anthem you know as part of like their permanent brand forever and that has massive implications on like how they're going to be throughout life whether they want to acknowledge that or not and um, I think all these things are really important to think about because, like, it's just like every sort of stereotypical movie you've ever watched where, like, the, the bully, like, kind of like, or, like, the popular kid is, like, a bully, you know, and like or just, like, a bad person. And you're like, why is this person popular? And, like, the truth is, like, so many of these mechanisms are just, like, they're socially constructed and they're not fair, you know? It's like it could be people that are born into, like, just hot parents, right? It's like the cheerleader 
from high school marries the football player and they're both like kind of maybe dumb and maybe just like not great people but like they're attractive and they get married and then they have a kid and that kid grows up to be attractive and then just by like the fact that they're attractive they get to be popular and they get to have influence which like literally carries into every area of life like your attractiveness what is that called like it's called like the uh shit the halo effect i think it's called where like people like they're more they're more willing to like uh, accept you for job offers or like want to be friends with you or whatever just based on your looks right like based on like the presence that you give off and and and, and then you can you don't even have to tie it into looks i mean just tie it into socioeconomics i mean like if you're born into a more wealthy family even if you don't have a direct tie into some kind of industry you're born into a situation where more than likely you're taught certain social etiquette and certain ways to exist in a community. Maybe you like went to a bunch of churches growing up and you've like developed a strong network of people in those churches who are going to like hook you up with a job at some point. Like these are all things that just broadly tie in to culture and they all matter as far as like how we become successful. And it's obvious to say like this is this is kind of the, the caveat to that, which is the, the sort of right-leaning, oftentimes conservative argument, which is that people can and do rise above their circumstances. Like, there's these are always, like, the most inspirational stories of our time, right? It's, like, people who are born into poor households and they become famous athletes or people who uh, were born with some kind of, like, mental deficiency and they become a scientist. You know, these are always the things that we gravitate toward, but I think it's important to always remember, as inspirational as they are, and as much as we should strive toward that within ourselves, I think it's important to recognize that those are always the um, they're always the exceptions and not the rules. And that's how I like to operate in life. It's like what what is driving the rule of society, meaning like governing like the bulk of people and the bulk of circumstances, versus the exceptions, versus the few, right? Like those are the few exceptional times when that happens like if you look at like poverty rates like most people do not come out of poverty right like if you're born into poverty you stay in poverty and that's a sad thing because you say that to a poor person they're going to be like well what the hell man like i don't i don't want to stay in poverty like i'm going to rise above it right so i think it's important to have that balance where it's like you have like a sort of systemic understanding of culture and how that ties into our governments and our political policies and our social movements and all of that. And then we also maintain some kind of understanding of like the individualism and like being able to like coach each other and inspire each other on an individual level and, and know that like we can rise above, right? Because like the fact is if you're born five foot four, you're not going to be an NBA player. You're just not. But like that doesn't mean you can't do awesome stuff with your life. And I don't know. I think that's just like super important. It, it, the question specifically I'm looking at right now, it asks like, what advice do you have for people aiming to be influential and important? Um, I think ultimately you need the, a combination of those mindsets. Like you need to understand like who you are as a person, like what are you good at? What can you offer people in a way? Like how can you, how can you make the world a better place? How can you be happy doing something and because you're happy, you're producing great work that other people can enjoy. How can you balance that with also ex pre-existing in these pre-existing frameworks that in some way, shape or form are going to shape who you are and how you fit into like the, the molds that society has like already preordained in some way, you know, which is like, it's shitty. And like, I don't say that to me and like you're trapped there. Like, like I said, there's always exceptions. There's always people that can break out, but I think because of that, it's really important to figure out, like, what you're good at, figure out, like, how you can um, 
just rise above. I mean, like in a lot of ways, like I'm saying on this individual level, this is why I think it's so important for people like myself to like always be looking to connect other people who need help. And I've, and I've always been this way, like since from growing up, I just really like networking. I love talking to people. I love connecting new people. It's just, it's a joy to me. Like it gives me joy to do that. So, um, I think that's important. Like I try to do that for myself. And I think the people who are more successful need to make that time and, and create those resources for the people who are in need, because there's tons of moments where like, I know, a bunch of people who work in specific industries. And like, if someone comes to me and I know they're really skilled, like maybe they're a great writer or a great designer or something. And they're like, Hey man, like I'm doing this work, but I can't get into this thing. Like, I feel like part of the onus in this circumstance falls on me or people like me to be like, Oh dude, like talk to this person, right? Like here's somebody who can help you because I have that connection and this person doesn't have a way in and it all, this all kind of wraps back around to what I was saying way earlier, just about how like meritocracy works and how it's broken and how so much of what life uh, consists of is who you know and like, and what you know. Right. And, um, I think that's a really important thing. So like reaching out, like on, if you're an individual who's like, who needs help and you want to like get into a certain industry or, or a refine a certain skill set, know when to reach out for help. You know, like I've reached out to, uh, countless people over the years for different things. You know, people who in many circumstances had no business talking to me, right? People who are way more successful than me, way more cool than me, people who I never thought would respond to my emails or whatever. Like, you have to take chances. Like, you really do. Like, you got to reach out to people. Even if you get denied, even if you get shut down, you just got to keep doing it. Like, keep pushing to to get those um those relationships built. Because, like, that's really what matters in, in life is these relationships that are going to help you and they're going to... and they're going to help you and they're going to help you help other people. You know what I mean? So that's really important. And, uh, and also just like, you know, believing in yourself and like understanding your skills and what you're good at. Cause a lot of, um, what I use in, in my work right now in social media with Stakeum and, and not pot and these other brands I've done work with, it's skills that I've had pretty much my whole life. Like I've developed them over time and I, I would, through these accounts, I was just able to tap into it in a unique way. Right. Like, I mean, as far as, um, like what made them successful or whatever, like these are like parts of like a lifetime of me figuring out what I'm good at and like how I can utilize my skills. So just like going through that process, like whether it's trying out classes at a community college, if you're not sure about school or it's like taking an online program or surfing, like the endless amounts of like educational YouTube channels that are out there that kind of like help people figure out what they want to do and different job opportunities. Like, or if it's just talking to friends or family or whoever you might know locally who can like help you get started in that way. But I think all these things kind of tie together as far as like becoming a whole person. And when you become a whole person, then inevitably you become influential and important, and important, which is such a weird, weird way of framing it. But I understand what the, what the meaning is there. I mean, it's definitely, it's a, it's, 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 it's good to think about it in that way because like everybody matters and everybody is like, they're, they're going through life feeling like, you know, like they're, they're living, we're all living in a way where it's like what we do matters, but like oftentimes we feel like we don't matter because like work is so unfulfilling and life is so unfulfilling. Like there's a lot of empty promises within capitalism and consumerism and these systems at place where like it, they just tell you if you buy this, you'll be happy, right? 
or if you like have this job, you'll be happier. If you have this relationship, you'll be happy. And oftentimes you do all these things and you get all these things and you realize none of it's making you happy. And oftentimes I think the way to get happy or get fulfilled is to just like become the person you're meant to be paired with developing like the skills that can actually make you a functioning member of society as far as like getting the right jobs and all that. So long, long answer, but like, I have a lot of thoughts on that and I, and I really enjoy talking to people about it cause it is so complex and there's no like one trick answer, you know, like if you were to ask this question to someone like Gary V or Tony Robbins on a stage, you're going to get just like a 20 second, like, here's what you got to do, man. Three bullet points. One, like, or like a Jordan Peterson, like one, clean your room. And then, <laughs> and that's going to be like it. Like it's super simplistic, but it's not like, like becoming, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm almost done here. My throat's like destroyed, destroyed right now, but becoming successful or good at anything takes time. It takes skill. It takes luck. It takes all these things. So yeah, you got to do what you got to do. But I, I hope in some roundabout way, I, I answered that question. Um, very cool. Well, thank you all so much for uh, sending me these things. I, I'd love to do this more often. Like I said, this is the first or the second solo episode I've even done. Episode 20 was the last one I did. And, uh, I, I should do more. I know I should. It's just, I oftentimes get, I don't know, not, yeah, I guess it is insecure. I guess that is, the, I guess that is the word I get. I get, um, I overthink just like, my ability, I guess, to be an armchair psychologist and an armchair life coach and an armchair political scientist and philosopher and all these things where, like, I know I'm not an expert, you know? Like, I'm not an expert in any of these things. So, like, I just have a lot of life experience and I do absorb a lot of information and content. So I feel like I can, like, push a lot of it out there and hopefully some of it lands. But it's also an uncomfortable feeling for me to just, like, ramble on and on about this stuff on a public forum because I do I've, I've said this many times in the show like I do feel a level of personal responsibility for my platforming whether it's the people who come on the things that I say like I try to do research as much as I can like ask my wife it just it drives her insane how much I'm always listening to other podcasts and reading and and, uh, and listening to like YouTube channels whatever it might be and um, I want to be able to impart that but I also know that like I'm not an expert in these things and I want to be careful that I'm not like impeding on any specific territory that could, I don't really care about getting me in trouble. I just don't want to like hurt other people by giving them bad information or like an incomplete picture, you know, which I think also ties back to why I ramble so much and talk around questions because like, I hate feeling like I'm just going to give this like really succinct, direct answer to really complex questions because there's always more context there. And I know too much context kind of ruins conversations because it's like, you can't, you can't, like, uh, qualify every statement that you make with context or else you just, like, it's not a fun conversation anymore. But uh, I also feel like I have to do that with a lot of this stuff because of where I come from and my understanding of social systems and just, like, how all this stuff operates in the world. And I don't want to give people, like, a false idea of, like, a false expectation of themselves, a false expectation of of uh, what they could do or in the industry, in certain industries, a false expectation of like how I got to where I am, you know, like I want to always be open and honest about like where I come from and all this. So all that said, you know, like I really appreciate, you know, the questions and the patience and, and the people who know my background and like know what I've been through and all this and, and know me as a person and they still like me, right? Like I appreciate, I appreciate all you guys for following me with all this. Uh, Cause it is, I, I can understand like from the outside looking in why someone might be, 
frustrated or annoyed with somebody like me for a lot of reasons because so, <laughs> I am often very self-critical of myself. But I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I promise I'll be back with more interviews and stuff soon. It's just been a crazy time. So stay tuned to my Twitter or Instagram or, or the Discord ch- channel that I got, wherever you find me, um, and we'll go from there. So, yeah, party on and stay and bless. Or <laughs> I shouldn't have done that, but I had to. All right. Peace.